This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. MyBookie presents Shake Them Ropes. Use code ROPES. Double your first deposit up to $1,000. Once again, back for more hilarity, Jeff Hawkins, Chris Novembrino. We're both wearing costumes. You'll never see them, but uh, Chris, what are you wearing? I am El Mariachi. (laughs) El Mariachi. It's weird this year because Halloween is like, in LA, is Christmas everywhere else. This is this is the season where everybody wants friends and family together to have parties and they want to decorate the houses and all the all the people from the studios are really doing it up live and, and things like that. Uh, I don't miss Halloween, Chris. I like a good Halloween once every four to five years. And then otherwise, I'm all set on Halloween. I'm I happy just, living up to the kids. I don't get up for this holiday. Yeah, I, I like I like hooking it up for the kids. Uh, you know, you know, I I'm a fan of like teaching children and stuff. I I like something about happy children does still speak to me on on a core level. Um, and I'm down with giving candy to the kids, uh, but I don't Jones to cosplay every year. Yeah, I <laughs> I see adults dressing up on like the thirtieth. Or the 29th and going into the office and I'm just like, uh, really? I mean, going to going to a party in a costume is one thing. Going to work in a costume is what bugs me. I don't know why. I just I'm this just is like where being a Lucha fan and actually having like a collection of Luchador's masks that I like on hand is useful because I could just grab a Dr. Wagner mask and pop it on and everyone people like Dr. Wagner Jr.'s mask looks like what people think a luchador's mask looks like if they don't really follow professional wrestling. So I just wear that. Everyone's like, oh, luchador. And I'm like, yep, good. And then I'm done. I don't have to dress up any further than wearing that mask. And I usually only have to wear that mask for about an hour. Well, well, like, let me, let me put it to you this way. Like, if you do a job like I used to do in legal administration. I never do the job when I'm a luchador. I always go over. <laughs> I'm Bill Mascaris, baby. <laughs> uh, oh, that's, yeah, Bill. Bill's like, <laughs> I'm not laying down, brother. <laughs> at at best, you get a non-finish jack. out of me. Yeah. Oh, God, that was so good. Um, But, you know, you put all that effort into a costume for, like, the three seconds of, oh, that's cool. Or, like, the five minutes in the break room of judging the contest. And then you go back to your desk. And you do your dreary job for eight hours, stuck in this garbage costume for a while. I just, I'm like, the, the, the investment is not worth the output. See, again, Luchador is great because you can go Rudo all day. You could be Rudo in the break room. You know, you can eat someone else's lunch and just claim it's part of your Rudo persona. Oh, yeah. Oh, like the people who, like, come as, like, a drunk clown and they just start berating people. It's like, no, it's part of the costume. But really. Yeah, when the boss brings in all the (laughs) breakfast burritos, you eat three or four of them. You claim it's, again, just part of you being a Rudo. 
Stole your lunch out of the refrigerator, Don. <laughs> Part of the On cost, your way you out, know? hit your boss with the low blow. <laughs> yeah. Sure, why not? <laughs> Let's just go on. Rudo. Yeah, Rudo. <laughs> it's not my fault. I'm just playing the part. I'm just... I'm method. I'm method in the office. Protecting the business, just... brother. <laughs> oh, that Bill Maskers line slayed me. Uh, uh, let, let, let's change the tone a bit. A little sad news in the wrestling world. Tracy Smothers passing away at the age of 58. Probably at this point, I will drop in the audio from Shake Them Ropes 93, going over the, the Southern Boys versus the Midnight Express from Great American Bash 1990, which is a phenomenal match. Match number 72 on our top 100 countdown, the top 100 matches on WWE Network to see before you die as directed by WWE.com. This is WWE.com's list. We are going through the list and seeing if they made a quite quality list of the 100 matches. And so far, I think we can agree they really have. Like oh, yeah. Every match really we've seen. I think there's only been one or two maybe that you can kind of pass on and we could find maybe better solutions. But as far as matches that are on this list, I think we've enjoyed all of them. And the next one we are going to talk about here, match number 72, is no exception. This whole card is fascinating to me. <laughs> it is. Great, the Great American Great Bash. Great American Bash, 1990. 1990. The NWA U.S. tag team titles are on the line. The Midnight Express with Jim Cornette. Stan Lane, Bobby Eaton defending the titles against the Wild-Eyed Southern Boys. Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers, Jeff Hawkins. You bet. Nice little uh, white meat baby tag team to fill in for the uh, Rock and Roll Express as the Rock and Roll Express are in the world title match here against Doom on this card. Mm-hmm. Um, also on this card of note, uh, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. Buddy Landell is in the opener against Brian Pillman. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the North American debut of Vader. Harley Race wrestles on this card. And a very young Mark Callis before The Undertaker gimmick in WWF being managed by one Paul E. Dangerously. So there's a lot to, uh, it, it may not be the most uh, magnificent card top to bottom in the world, but there's a lot, uh, a lot of interesting things on it. Wild Odd Southern Boys against the Midnight Express, match number 72 on our list. This took place in Baltimore, Maryland. It was the last ever NWA Great American Bash. Yes, it was. WCW because... plastered all over it. Jim Ross, mm-hmm. Bob Cottle on the call. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing of note, this is totally by accident. Okay. But we have had some phenomenal timing with some of the matches that we review. Right. Phenomenal timing. We talked about the Money in the Bank match. The first ever Money in the Bank was on our list. That came the week before the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, so it was timely. Mm-hmm. This match right here took place on July 7th, 1990, making today the 25th anniversary of this match. Hmm. 25th. Timing, timing, timing. Yeah, we've had some good luck. Uh, and also, match number 71, the match we're going to do next time, will also in, you know include some great timing on our part. Uh, <laughs> and we'll talk about that in a little bit. This match, before we get really into the heavy stuff on it, four and three-quarter stars was rated by Dave Meltzer at the time, so he highly recommends this match. I don't have a lot of experience with older wrestling, pre-1990. Okay. I fully admit that. I mean, I was this, five. This is why I'm here. Let's I talk. I was five years old in 1990. 
Now, I didn't go back. at When I first got into wrestling in 1996, 1997, I watched WCW and WWE at the time. And we didn't mm-hmm. have this internet. We didn't have, you know, we had internet, but we didn't have it to the point where I can go and watch any match in the past, you know. Right. So I wasn't spending a lot of time there. And then, you know, we get into the 2000s. YouTube is coming up. You have the ability to go watch older matches. But at the same time, you have TNA. You have WWE. You have all the independent wrestling companies that I had gotten into, especially Ring of Honor. While going through school and while doing work and all this stuff, mm-hmm. I haven't really had time to where I can go back and study the 80s, especially because it's not like my job, you know? I mean, my job isn't to go study and know the history of the 80s. I learn the history and I know the history of everything that I've followed from when I started watching wrestling. Now, I know those are, there are those that are upset with people when they don't go back and learn the history. Like, I know the history of certain guys and I could tell you, you know, what happened in different time ranges, but this match... The history behind the Midnight Express and the Southern Boys going in this match, you know, the NWA era of the late 80s, I'm not that familiar with. Jeff Hawkins, okay. thankfully, is because he loved the NWA and WCW. Yes. Loved it. That was his thing. Mm-hmm. So he's going to tell you exactly why this match was awesome. I will say, first off, though, again, like we mentioned, Tracy Smothers. I was super excited to watch this match to see some Tracy Smothers. So excited. Okay. And it huh. did not disappoint. I've never heard anybody go, I'm excited to see a match for Tracy Smothers, which is interesting because I think Tracy Smothers is one of the most underrated people in wrestling and history. You, and people say that, and you know what? I can agree because yeah. after watching some of the stuff in ECW and then watching matches like this of him in the late 80s and early 90s, like Tracy Smothers was great, especially in this match. But when you, I, we talk about him working in front of crowds of 30 and 40 people and him interacting with everyone, by the end right. of the night, if he's the bad guy, he will get everyone in that building to hate him. Mm-hmm. And cheer for the guy he's going against, no matter who that was. I was doing a Tracy Smothers, Chuck Taylor match where Chuck Taylor was like miniature Tracy Smothers in IWA right. South. And he was this bad guy and he wanted everyone to hate him. Chuck Taylor was the most over baby face in that building when the night, when the night was done <laughs> because Tracy Smothers got everyone to hate him so much. Oh, he is so good. And he's so smart too, because he knows you go to these IWA mid South shows, you go to some independent shows where they want quick, quick, quick. They want fast action. They want, they don't want headlocks for five minutes. Tracy Smothers is doing headlocks for five minutes, not because he's slow and not because he can't do anything else, but because he's working. Tracy Smothers yeah. is so phenomenal. But Jeff, explain to everyone why this match was so great and why, you know, even if you weren't familiar with the Southern Boys, who later became the Young Pistols. We had, yes. we had a conversation about this. We didn't know if the Young Pistols were first and then it was the Southern Boys. Southern Boys, and then they Southern became... Southern Boys were first, yes. Then they became heels and they were the Young Pistols. Because this was their... I don't want to say it was their debut, but it was like their second or their, oh, it was their first pay-per-view match with WCW, I believe. And the magic of the Midnight Express is, oddly enough, almost every Midnight Express feud in terms of the legendary ones are almost the same. It's a young athletic tag team and these veteran, very, this very veteran athletic team having great matches that look like fights. Mm-hmm. It, it was with the Rock and Roll Express. It was with the Southern Boys. It was with the Fantastics. Later on, it, when they morphed into the um, into the Heavenly Bodies, it was with the Thrill Seekers. It was with the, uh, the, the second incarnation of the Fantastics, which was just the Fulton Brothers. Um, the, and, 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 you know, the Midnight Express were always kind of slid as that top, mid-card tag team that you knew could be the world champs. And they got that run very briefly before 
this uh, U.S. tag title run when they were fighting the Horsemen before Tully and Arn left for Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. But the magic of this match, number one, this Baltimore crowd is fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic because they're, they're, they're pro Midnight Express, but not to the point where they overshadow the respect of the Southern boys who eventually win them over throughout this match. And the first half of this match is basically how many times can we kick Bobby Eaton in the face? Uh-huh. That's, that's the match right there. And there wasn't a lot of hooting and hollering when they hit him in the face, you know, pumping up the crowd and stuff. They would just stand there ready to fight and the crowd would eat it up and Eaton would take his time going, Oh, I'm, I'm so injured right now, you know, and Cornette's going apoplectic and, and it's great. And then, then when Eaton finally gets the tag, it becomes, this is my favorite part of the match. I don't know about you. The, the redneck Kung Fu fight yeah. between Smothers and Stan Lane, where they're doing karate in the middle of a wrestling match. And Cornette's yelling, karate's illegal in wrestling. <laughs> Just hilarious. And then when you think of the NWA style, it, it's very easy to watch in terms of a tag team match. It's two heels going over a baby face until he gets the hot tag. And then it's the one hot baby face beating up both the other guys until, until the guy who was getting beat up comes back in to even up the odds. And then somewhere in there is a finish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Steve Armstrong is my favorite Armstrong. I think just in terms of look, because he's the only Armstrong that doesn't either have a Jerry curl perm or a Jerry curl perm mullet. Okay. <laughs> like okay. Scott, look at Scott Armstrong's old hairstyle when he was wrestling. That, that thing is the most hideous thing on God's earth. <laughs> Scott Armstrong or Steve Armstrong, well, not the most dynamic fella in the world. Um, <laughs> possibly my favorite of being understated out of all the Armstrongs. And these guys are just flying all over the place in terms of you know, the, the cross body drops off the top, they're flying around. Um, and, and again, it, it's another one, like kind of like the fantastic midnights that we reviewed a couple weeks ago. It's a fight dressed up as a wrestling match and you could watch it a million times. It would never be boring every time. I was excited. Uh, you know, Dylan Waco on Twitter at Dylan Waco Called this a great match. The karate standoff spot with Lane and Smothers is cited as his highlight. But yeah. the stretch run was brilliant. And that's yes. really where I got into this one too, was the stretch run. I mean the Right ending. when they're trying to when they're trying to pin both guys yes. at the same time and I, getting kicked out. Yeah. They're all getting in the ring. The ref keeps kicking, you know, a guy out from each team, and eventually it uh-huh. catches up to him. You know, yeah. the crowd is going wild. You know, they're they're chanting negatives at Jim Cornette. They're chanting positives for the Southern boys. I mean, they're really into this. And the stretch run I was watching this match while doing other preparations for this podcast. I was writing things down about halfway through it, whether it was Jim Ross talking me into it, whether it was the in-ring action, whether it was the noticing of the crowd getting super hot. Yeah. Everything else went away. I was paying attention a hundred percent to this match. The, the odd thing about this is this crowd starts out very, very pro midnight express. Mm -hmm. They're a heel crowd. Yep. I can't remember. I can't remember if it's Greensboro or Baltimore where the Midnight Express turned on the dynamic dudes. I, I thought it was Baltimore, but I might be wrong on that. So don't quote me on that. But Baltimore's Baltimore's kind of a Midnight Express type of city. And then by the end of the match, they're loving both these teams and yeah. they're yelling for everything. 
that's going on and and there and the wrestlers are feeding into it um it's just it's what i want tag team wrestling to be rob not just two solo guys getting their spots in i want it to seem like a fight and i want it to seem like both guys are working in tandem here and and this match just delivers all the way around yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember on the commentary because I've watched two different versions. I watched the Daily Motion version, which I believe was the video rip, and then I watched the network version. I think on the network version, they 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 muted a bit of Coddle's commentary. I can't speak to that. They, they may have because there were there were parts that I actually noted that were a little quiet for a match of yeah of that type. Coddle does. I mean, if you watch the non-network version, Coddle and Ross are really. Bob, Cott, this isn't Bob Cottle's finest hour by any means, but he's feeding Ross, and Ross is getting more and more excited as as the as the pace of the match quickens. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very it's a bit awkward on the network when there's those dead air spots that aren't really there, you know. Yeah, it was certainly an interesting match, and I was going in thinking, okay, I'm excited for Tracy Smothers, but like, how great is this tag team match really going to be? And I was blown away. I mean, I'll be honest. I was kind of blown away by by the work, especially in the ending sequences, because I tend to sometimes watch uh, older pro wrestling on the network. What? Not really for this show. For just when I want to watch something else, I I tend to use the WWE Network as something for background viewing. You know, for okay. background listening. And with this show today, uh, because part of it we did on Sunday for for the live stuff with PW Ponderings. You know, I had a lot to uh, kind of catch up on. I had a lot to write out in preparation as well as watch this match again, because I had watched this match a week ago when we were originally going to talk about it. Yeah. But again, that was kind of, it was kind of rushed and we ended up not having time for it. So I had to watch, I wanted to watch this match again to make sure I'm fully squared with it. So I was going to watch it in the background. The ending sequence comes and I'm still giving a hundred percent to it. Like I had seen it just a week ago and I could mm-hmm. not stop watching this match and Tracy Smothers is in there and the desperation when Smothers and, and uh, Armstrong lose you know, from the roll up when I think it was Bobby, right. Bobby Eaton gets the pin, right? Bobby Eaton, I think, is the one that gets the pin in this match. Um, is he? I thought it was Lane, but don't quote no, me. On Lane that. comes in to cause the distraction, if you will, right. to, to okay. get the to get the upper hand. So Eaton wins after pinning Smothers, and they just go absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. They go insane in despair because Smothers even had tried. They tried to do the twin magic for current fans. They had tried to do the angle where, you know, Armstrong gets sent out of the ring after being hurt. Smothers lays down to try and trick their opponents that he's actually the legal man. And he's the one that was just hurt. So Lane goes down to try and get him, and he gets covered by a roll up. Like one of those surprise endings. They had tried tricks of their own that didn't work. It was just the midnight express got luckier with their tricks. Right. And also I believe in setting up this match, if I recall correctly, that you know, much, much like they set up a lot of other title feuds, the uh, the Southern Boys had gotten a clean win over the Midnight Express leading into this on the prior week, or maybe it was two weeks beforehand. And so it was like, oh, we know how to beat them. We can go out there. And th- I think that's what the promos were leading to is that, hey, we, we're young, we're hungry, we've been running through all these other teams. They're, they're the white meat babyface team on, on the rise. They're the, um, what, what would be a good parallel right now although you can't really get that right now i don't know about of any team i mean tmdk (laughs) maybe if you're following you know overseas wrestling maybe um but i mean as far as in america i don't right they don't do this they don't 
they don't do this kind of build anymore where you put together two two young good looking kids to team up and and get a run anymore which Richards used to be and just Richards and Edwards as the Wolves in TNA uh that yeah that was a long time ago maybe i mean maybe when you first together red dragon first put together red dragon that would be uh, the, oh 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 future shock yes kyle o'reilly adam cole yeah kind of thing this was the, this was the formula for building teams and then maybe you get a solo star but it wouldn't matter if you get a solo star like wwf would always look for the solo star in, in these types of tag teams WCW NWA Southern promotions didn't care. You could build tag teams to be main eventers like they did yeah. the rock and roll express. So, yeah. well, I would give this a thumbs up. I, I would oh, say if you're a fan of tag huge, teams, especially huge thumbs up. And I would watch this entire card just, you know, especially, you know, you get to see Vader destroy Tom Zink. How bad is that? Well, that, you know? <laughs> so this match especially gets high recommendation from Dave Meltzer. It gets high recommendation from former shake them ropes guest, Dylan Hales at Dylan Waco on Twitter. And you mentioned Tom Zink again. We have the introduction of Tom Zink as the Z man, Gary Michael Capetta. I don't think gets more excited to announce anybody than he does for the Z man. <laughs> friend of a uh, friend of the Jeff. Tom, I, well, uh, I, I've gone, I'm gone over my tangential connection to Tom Zink. So yeah, Gary Michael Capetta, super excited to announce some Tom Zink as the Z man. I love Tracy Smothers, Chris. I got to see his peak and also his not so peak. He was because I grew up in in Crockett Country, and then when I went to college, that was when Smoky Mountain was going on, and he was one of the top baby faces there, teaming with the Dirty White Boy, also a top single star there. I was not so enamored in the post Freddie Joe Floyd. Uh, <laughs> some of you who are just huge, just WWE fans may remember him as uh, Freddie Joe Floyd prior to the Attitude Era, and then he went to ECW to be one of the full-blooded Italians. One of those guys from the South, from that Georgia, Tennessee area, who never stopped working, who never made the big bucks necessarily, but who always loved wrestling to the point where, hey, I'll come in and do an indie shot lay down for you. This guy reminds me to a certain extent of Bobby Eaton, too. Uh, the Bobby Eaton's a similar type of guy who was happy to transition to being a middle and undercard guy and didn't see a problem with that and also like really loved the business and is someone that everyone loved to work with. Yeah, the, the only difference is that he never became a real vagabond like, like Smothers did. I mean, Smothers, Smothers would go to any promotion that would take him. At any point, and you know, I fifty Eaton. My understanding is that Eaton was pretty good with his money. Yeah, that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one thing in his biography for Smothers that interests me is when uh, they were starting out. One of their first feuds in Florida was with the New Breed, and if I could, if I could do a time machine and bring them into this time, I'm sure that match might be a little bit more spectacular. At that time, man, the New Breed was just killing dudes. <laughs> because <laughs> they were just learning how to work. So they're like doing clotheslines and punching guys in the face. I kind of want to see that, a match of theirs. And you can't because, you know, camcorders being what they were. I don't think they ever did anything on Florida TV either, but I'll have to take a look at that. But uh, do, you, do you have any uh, strong memories of Tracy Smothers? No, other than okay. I just remember him 
on my TV as a kid and like seeing him around like his vagabondness even before I like understood anything about the business like the the idea that this guy traveled around was not lost on me and he might be one of the first people that I kind of remember having that type of career before I even understood what that type of career meant or yeah like the other was. thing the other thing that stands out so much to me and this goes to our fandom because when we were still really hustling on the Patreon patreon.com slash shake them ropes thank you Matt Prentice for subscribing this week um we we're gonna do an episode about the Confederate babyface uh gimmick or trope and Tracy Smothers was that gimmick in a lot of places. The guy who carried the Confederate flag for Southern pride. And then later when, you know, around the mid nineties, late nineties, that became a heel act. It fit him perfectly as well. And he'd, he'd go in there and he'd make the baby face look great and, you know, berate everybody, things like that. And bringing out the Confederate flag is an automatic boo, but it's a phenomenon that, people who weren't of that time would never understand in, in terms of it, it, it was weird because it was in no way meant to be racial, but as yeah, in a lot time, of cases, the booking patterns you know would do things where like the baby face in this case, like his tag team partner might be someone like Pez Watley. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you'd go and it wouldn't to be mentioned there that like, it would just, it was not being presented like that, but like no. obviously, you know, um, a lot has changed over the last thirty-five, forty years, and yes. just um, you know, the the way people look and interpret the flag is just very, very different. Yeah, and it's weird. You watch audiences, and they were, you know, the lower middle class, mostly white, but you know, it also it, there was some racial diversity. Not a lot in Smoky Mountain necessarily, but I mean, just like my area, like. Southeast Virginia, if you go to Norfolk, that's mostly a black audience right there. And Georgia would have, you know, a pretty mixed audience. Yeah, and they, they also, they, I mean, WCW read the tea leaves very early by changing them from the Southern Boys to the Young Pistols as well to try and be a more national. They, they did for crass marketing terms. I don't think they did because of, uh, <laughs> tr- trust me, I don't think they were doing due to political correctness because they still had the Freebirds in there doing Confederate flags through like '93. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah but, that's right. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, but no, he's great. That that 1990 match, uh, I prefer watching a cut of it on Vimeo where you're not getting the WWE Network version, but. It was the third best match of 1990 in the Observer Awards. It is a fantastic match. And, and here's my hook for you, if you don't believe me. Tracy Smothers and Stan Lane try to do karate in the middle of a wrestling match. And it's fantastic. Oh, I totally remember this match now that you just said that out loud. Um, Stan Lane's karate spot in this match is really fun. I, yeah, I, but, I forgot it was this match. Oh, yeah, sure. No, um, I really like this karate spot. Yeah, it's pre- preceded by Smothers giving Savat kicks to the to Bobby Eaton's face. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> and, and Lane would bust bust out the his karate stylings from time to time, sometimes for humor and sometimes, like, for real skis. And the real stuff was actually kind of fun, dude. Like, when he'd throw kicks, they'd look good. Yeah, no, I mean, and it made him... It made the pretty boy aspect of his gimmick more vicious, which I really liked as well. But uh, 
we're getting off. <laughs> we're, we're eulogizing Smothers and talking about Stan Lane. So, but uh, well, I mean, of- they're both they're both part of that spot. It's just when you said that, it like immediately jarred my memory. Just because, like, no, I I really like that. That's a spot in a wrestling match that's really made a lasting impression and in my life. Um, the, to the point where you can mention that spot kind of vaguely, and Smothers is the other guy in it. Um, that that's cool, man. Like, yeah, he'd go to yeah, Japan that's and a he'd lasting work, impression. Yeah, he'd go to Japan and he'd work garbage matches in FMW. He did he did a run in all Japan during the early nineties as well. I, I mean, saw a went, fun quote from him about that where he said, You know you've really made it in this business when you've toured Japan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean he's he he'd go anywhere that would pay him. And if if I were if I were a younger fan, if we still have any, <laughs> um I would watch the 1990 Great. Yeah, I'm not going to. I, I welcome them. I, I'm here to teach the children. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'd, I'd go to the WWE Network. I'd watch. I'd watch the 1990 match, and then I don't know how much Smoky Mountain wrestling they have, but watch him in his feuds with the Dirty White Boy, and then teaming with the Dirty White Boy, because those are those are two different things, but they're fantastic. I mean more completist can seek out his his odd heelish promos when they were doing the uswa versus smoky mountain wrestling feud where they're part of the thugs <laughs> and g is for jail because a thug can't spell you know th- those types of promos but yes uh rest in peace tracy smothers one of the great tag team wrestlers from my youth going on to the news very interesting news up and down the uh, the stateside slash WWE and Mako Satamura set to do a run in NXT UK as a trainer going in there to do train help train the women. Uh, if you don't remember her from the last May Young Classic, I suggest you seek that out immediately. I know that Sasha Banks has been begging for a match with Mako Satamura. Uh, I am here for Mako taking over training of the women stateside. Uh, especially yeah, if you honestly, can... it seems that's where the trainings needed more pressingly. Um, there are actually some nice developing talents down there in NXT UK. Like Danny Luna's not bad. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where I'd much rather the women be sent to Japan for Mako and, and, and her training styles there, but I'm not going to complain about this. Sure. Because I think, I think she's such a net positive. And I would be all for a short run of dream matches if Sasha and Bailey both wanted to take her on in a one-on-one. I'm, I'm here for that, man. I, I I said a long time ago I would love for Mako, Kyrie, and Io, you know, have all the women sign waivers, have them have them live at the performance center for six months, and then don't ask any questions and come back in six months and see how the women are because I think they'd be great if she could. Te- if, look, if she could turn Zaya Brookside into a killer, I'm here for it. Oh, now that you say it like that, I'm guessing Mako is basically there just to train Zaya. No, they have trainees there. Okay. Uh, you know, in their but, training yeah, center. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting though. No, you, you know, you, you, you're gonna see some strong style uh, Nina Samuels. There you go. <laughs> That'll be your dream, Chris. I'm yeah, into it. No. Uh, but yeah, Mako Satamara is nothing but a positive in my book. Uh, Matt Riddle 
has had his first name dropped. Apparently he is now just riddle. God help us. God help us all. You can't figure him out, Jeff. He's a riddle. Say it again. Because you can't figure him out. Bro. Why is a raven like a writing desk? I guess Vince just decided either Riddle might be a gimmick name or he got tired of the name Matthew or something. I don't know. This is ridiculous. This is this is, this is death, Chris. Oh, yeah, no, it's always, I mean, look at what happened to Antonio Cesaro when he became Cesaro. Like, he did have a push, but the second they're already at the point where they're dropping your name, it, it means that they've dropped interest in you. Adrian Neville becoming Neville? Yep. That, uh, well, okay, but he did win a title. Well, he, he was NXT champion, and then he kind of got decelerated down to, okay, no, your point still stands even with Neville. Uh, Andrade Cien Almas just becoming Andrade. Well, I mean, he's now, uh, you know, your point still stands with Andrade. Yeah, I, I was just trying to think of others no. offhand in this. I, I'm, yeah, I'm Shorty G. <laughs> yeah, no, Chad Gable, duh. Uh, no, it, it's if he breaks the streak, he will be breaking a streak because the data suggests that when this company drops one of your names and shortens you down to half of your name, they're half as interested in you as they once were. Yeah, and that's why I'm a little... It's weird that... Well, it, looks it couldn't like have the... happened to a nicer guy, Jeff. Yeah, well, but I'm also... I, I was going to put it as a parallel to what I think they're going to end up doing with uh, Lars Sullivan. And well, I if think, he becomes I think... Lars... Oh, no, he's just going to become the freak. Oh, no, I, I, I don't think they're going to keep him as the freak. You don't? No, so where I think that's going is when you say freak, it will trigger him and okay. it will put him into a blind rage. So like, like I'm the not, I, I don't even know if they heard they, a bell. I don't know if they've even decided if he's face or heel yet. Um, yeah. I know they were they're presenting him as that, but then watching this promo tonight, I was like, I don't know, maybe they're backing up. But I do think freak is going to make him like you wouldn't like me when I'm angry, Hulk style, and uh, you know someone will call him freak and then he'll break him in part. Pack announced as coming back to AEW. I welcome this. Oh, yeah. No, he's a great wrestler. Yeah, I loved him before he left. Be interesting what they do with the Lucha Brothers. As the death triangle is no more. But uh, I'm figuring there might be an angle to that. We might we might talk a little bit about that if we, if we gloss over AEW here. I think we have to talk a little AEW at some point here. Yeah. Uh, Q3 call this week. Uh, your Interesting usual... call. Interesting happenings. I guess. I, I, I don't. I'm never impressed. You know, we're always looking at all opportunities to do more streaming rights. You know, okay, ratings not, don't not mean that stuff. That stuff's stupid. Um, ratings the, don't mean everything. They uh, the, the writing will get better. They know. beat earnings expectations by a substantial margin. Like, yes. compared to where our analysts had them. The, you know, so you like look at a smattering of analysts. It's not like not every analyst, but like if you get on, you know, Robin Hood or whatever, you can see a smattering of analysts, and uh, they beat some of the stuff that was in the high band. Um, like they they very much outperformed median expectations and performed very much in the the high end. So for the company, like 
that's really all that they care about as a publicly traded company. And I think that's really important. And, and I never really hear it discussed in the context of the ratings war and the contrived Wednesday night war and the war between AEW and WWE. WWE is a publicly traded company with shareholders. And unlike AEW, whose sort of metrics for success are pay-per-view buys, television ratings, and, and a TV contract, um, those are really the big ones. So if you don't have a TV contract, you're basically dead in the water. For WWE, the TV contract matters. But, but on top of that is just the share price. And are people still buying stock in, in the company? Um, and can they create an attractive stock that people want to have holdings in? And WWE, rather ruthlessly and unscrupulously, like make it clear I'm not touting the virtues and the merits of Vince McMahon here. I'm just saying... In terms of a product that investors would be interested in, in purchasing shares in, WWE has made a product. And in this call, this Q3 call, for that advertisement, did a very good job. But I, I'm with you, dude. Like, I, I mean, I have questions about this next TV contract. But then th that gets into the other big news out of this, right? Like, they actually brought in some new people. Yeah, the, uh, I want to say George Kahn. Nick Khan, Nick is, Khan. I believe thank his you. Name. I almost said Tony Khan, and that would have been no. I, I, I remember they're like, oh, oh, so we're now going Khan for Khan. I see. I see mm -hmm. how Vince wants to play. Yeah, this. no. I mean, they they have they've made some very good moves in the upper management state. The the one metric, and by the way, if you want if you want some really wonky breakdown, go listen to Brandon Thurston on WrestleNomics break all this down. It it it, and he'll get he'll get into the nitty gritty. But uh, the one. The one interesting metric for me was that in merchandise sales, they virtually matched the amount that they make doing house shows just online. In terms, in terms of the, they'd make like seven million online, and then like two million uh, at house shows during a regular year, and that th and then this year or this quarter they made just as much online as they would have when you combine the two. So that is fascinating. Yeah. So if the point of how shows is really, you know, m making money and revenue and things like that, I think, I think we increasingly see given how, how much they outperform profits and stuff. I think we're going to see the end of house shows. Yeah. I mean, I think talent would like that. I think COVID-19 is obviously going to preclude that coming back anytime in the near future. But I also just think as you're looking at this Q3 report, and um, even their Q2 report wasn't bad, they have been doing a lot of cost cutting. And they're seeing that um, all of the benefits greatly outweigh any of the negatives. They have made themselves a leaner company and they have tighter they have a tighter operation. They don't have to spend any, you know, I mean, you think back to some of these old shows, uh, dude, the amount of money they used to spend on friggin' pyro, right? Just, just that alone. Um, now you can do a wrestling show and we haven't seen crazy pyro displays in ages. And do you really miss it? Is it a thing that's really like, you know, cool entrances are cool. And you want to have a cool entrance every once in a while, but you don't need like the insane amount of fireworks that wwe used to do 
um, on a regular basis. Its greatest asset is to the performers on the roster who still need seasoning in the ring. That That's its greatest asset, is that they can go out there and have some time as opposed to, okay, you have five minutes, tell a story. You know, they could, they could go out there, they can work a little with a veteran as teaching moments. Um, what, one of the, you know... The Rude Gable versus Revival matches were apparently fantastic on house show circuits. Uh, but for the most part, there is, there is a part of the learning process that goes away with this. I, I, will, I, will, I will give it that. But overall, with that much television, especially if you're going to stay local in one city for right now, you can do all the training there. And, and you know, as long as, you, <laughs> as long as you're really working at it, you you should be able to improve somewhat. Now you don't get the you don't get the feel of the crowd. But then again, wrestling's not that anymore, Chris. I mean, it used to be back in my day, back when Hawkins was a kid. No, but you like pace the match to the energy of the crowd. And now WWE's relationship with the crowd and the, what they want out of the performer and the crowd is they want the crowd to deliver ritualized responses. And ideally, that crowd will deliver those ritualized responses at the right time, up to and including this is awesome. The, the throw roses into the ring sort of praise. Um, like even that's supposed to be ritualized. And if that's the interplay that WWE wants from its audience. And and that goes, man, that goes all the way back to Occupy Raw and uh, 2013 Daniel Bryan run. There was an attempt by the audience for a very long time. It was like the last gasp of the audience to sort of get back that old energy that you're talking about back in your day, where the audience gives active feedback to the wrestling program and the wrestling program adapts if they get enough audience feedback that kind of moves the angle Uh, wwe does not want that they want you to clap for who they want you to clap for they want you to boo who they want you to boo um even when they say they were cool with john cena getting a mixed reaction because it was just a reaction that's bullshit vince mcmahon wanted everyone to cheer vince mcmahon wanted everyone to love that guy every single show i i agree uh i am going to make a pronouncement on this show it is now almost the 1st of November. Nothing is going to matter on the main roster, barring something spectacular, until Rumble season. So we don't need to talk about it a lot. We will go over the pay-per-views. We might. If something pops either of us on Raw or SmackDown, we will talk about it. But other than that, this is silly season. It's going to be back and forth 50-50. There's no Saudi Arabia show in in November this year. So it's just going to be back and forth. That's too bad because some of the most compelling storylines and dramas were usually saved for the Saudi Arabia show. (laughs) Oh, Chris, I'm trying here. I'm trying, okay? November is nothing but laundry wars and brand supremacy. Two weeks after you do a draft where you're still shuffling people and there's no reward for it. Michael Cole talked about the pride of representing the brand. Oh, get bent. You just got drafted to this brand a couple. If I wanted to run with this as much as possible, they just arrived there. The closest that these things have had to, to stakes. I liked the NXT inclusion last year. I did. I thought that was kind of cool. But the closest any of these five-on-five dumb matches have had 
in terms of brand supremacy because they're not uniting any of the titles. They're ju- they're just exhibitions. Was with that year where they had the elimination match and Dolph Ziggler won to bring power back to the fans versus the McMahons. And boy, boy, did that. And I think that lasted all of two weeks before he gave it up in storyline. And then we're just on to the next thing. Look, November's going to be these, these crappy Survivor Series stories that don't matter. You're going to have invasions on different weeks. And oh, my God. And maybe somebody punches somebody in the face and bloodies them up. And then they become a star through mediocre book. Oh, you know what's going to be awesome? When <laughs> Team SmackDown shows up and beats up wrestling Antifa. <laughs> and then and then December's going to be TLC, the one time a year, except for Extreme Rules and every other gimmick match. Yeah, and there'll be, there'll be one or two great matches on that pay-per-view, but the builds are going to stink. So let's just wait till Rumble season to really dive into these Raws and Smackdowns. Yeah, but unless there is like an odd angle. I mean, yes. so let, let, I mean, we can talk retribution for a second here. Um, I, I mean, no, <laughs> no, I, I want to. I want to because can like we talk about it as part of the Hell in the Cell recap. Then sure, just, that's that's fine. That's okay. Fine. Let, let's get retribution out of the way then. Bad seizures. And whatever the hell, I almost call him Flapjack. Get his name right. He's my favorite wrestler in this company. (laughs) Shane Thorne doing Uh, the weird shoulder shimmy on the way down to make it look like he's creepy. Because he's really cool. Yeah, he's a little little edgy and a little unhinged. Sure. Sick boy from WCW where he always had a great wrestler in his own right. (laughs) Yes, let's add Kidman to this. No, I just the seven-year itch, classic move. <laughs> this is this is insulting the people with real conditions, Chris. Come on, Slapjack is not insulting the people with real conditions. Slapjack is um, encouraging the people who like masks. No, we could do Flapjack, and we could do a tie-in with the New Day. And he, he could be the third new day guy, and that's that could be see that could that be can't fun. See in, yeah, he can't I, see in the damn thing, so he keeps adjusting it all during the match. That was really funny. But the oh. best part is when he threw that drop kick and he missed by like several inches because he can't see in the mask. <laughs> he has no depth <laughs> perception in the hockey mask. Let's, I, I, let's, I'm not laughing at him. I'm laughing with him. There, he's I'm my laughing favorite wrestler. At him. The hell with this. No, let's, he's my favorite give, wrestler. Give him some gear to to help him out. That's why I'm laughing. I'm not. No, but like okay. So so, like, the whole reason this angle sucks, though, is because Vince needs <laughs> Vince, this to be... No, we can stop it there. It's because of Vince. No, it's true, but he needs this to be this political vent session to the point where, like, the story is incoherent in a kayfabe wrestling storyline. It only makes sense if you understand Vince McMahon's politics and how he probably feels about the political group Antifa for hit for this group to be facing off against the hurt business, a, a faction that has a, a common fondness for wearing suits. But he's making the African Americans the heroes, so he sees himself as a civil rights pioneer. Oh, and by the way, let let me transition or, or, that into or the Antifa. One... Antifa is smashing black-owned businesses. Is yes. another way of him doing this. Yes, exactly. And this transitions into the news story that I forgot out of the Q3 call that I wanted to go over. WWE will be working with Netflix on a Vince McMahon documentary 
Bill Simmons and the director of the Firefest documentary are involved. Chris, this is going to be a four-part. If you've ever seen the Simpsons Film Festival show, a four-part or whatever part burns for all seasons. It's going to be the biggest Horatio Alger rags to riches story, overcoming the odds, BS crap. If you're looking for real insight into Vince McMahon, don't come here because Bill Simmons still wants access for other projects. It is it is going to be. It's, Here's it's my be prediction. They washing. are going to explain away a lot of Vince McMahon's personal negative foibles on his father and his interaction with his father and remove a lot of his agency for his adult life and place it back in the yesteryears. Oh, it's going to be the, I, I acted this way because I was so competitive type of crap. I felt like I needed to compensate. Damn it. Well, he's not going to say that. He's going to, he's going to blame it on the other guy, whatever. You know, I need to compete with them and I just couldn't do it. But you know, the, the whole, and then you know, the story about him beating up the guy in the trailer park who was who was having sex with his mother? I guess, you know those types of things. He's gonna he's gonna be the hero of the story. He might be the villain occasionally, but if WWE is helping to produce this, or if the McMahon's have any executive producer credit, they're nixing anything that looks like a real look in on. Vin- in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off 
a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. McMahon's life, the closest we ever got to that were, was beyond the mat, quite frankly. Uh, you know, the flip is, if Netflix wants the next Tiger King, if they made the real Vince McMahon documentary... Yes! Oh, they'd have the next Tiger King so on their hands. Like, if you had the Saudi Arabia episode, and you had the the steroids stuff and Ico Pro in the mix. Mm -hmm. Give me the micromanagement. Give me the drag races. Give me the... The obligatory Montreal Screwjob episode. Yes, of course. I, I don't. I don't wraps. want it. But like, we're we're making like Tiger King Netflix product here. Like, that's got to be in the mix here. But yeah, no, dude. The story of Vince McMahon. Oh yeah, the 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 exact same audience that loved Tiger King would eat up Vince McMahon, especially if oh, you yeah. had really good like get Cornette in there. You know, get, get people who are characters in there. Look, if this is like every other Netflix documentary, Vince McMahon's gonna there's gonna be some sort of weird government conspiracy to kill him. Because that's every Netflix documentary now. Who really killed Sam Cooke? Well, obviously it was the government, not the woman who took his pants that was sleeping with at the time. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, I hard pass, I think. I, I, I'm, I, this is a wait and see type thing. I, I, they'll probably give you a few nuggets to say, yeah, it's not really retconned history, but man, I, I, my skepticism is at an all-time high on this one. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I, what they will do, when they present WWE being crushed as a triumph for the business, you'll know what the flavor of this documentary series is. Okay, I want to give a shout-out to our sponsor this week, my bookie. Between the NFL, college ball, and, and the well, the World Series, which has just ended, there's no shortage of games to watch. And with thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday with my bookie. You're well, the I type bet of you guy- can still find odds on the Dodgers, uh, yeah, just you- for different things now. Yes, just for you. <laughs> Don't make those jokes during the ad read. If you're the type of guy who likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value. The thing about the NFL is that the underdogs are never really dogs on Sunday. Every team truly has a chance to win, except the Bengals, and you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets. It's never too late to get on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. Sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use our promo code ROPES to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar, all the way up to a thousand bucks. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code ropes for you to claim your bonus. When you make your deposit stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, bet by Monday, all the major sports and more sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at my book. And we thank them for their continued sponsorship of shake them ropes and other voices of wrestling programming. Okay. Postmortem on hell in a cell. Overall, fairly enjoyable pay-per-view, I thought. I thought, of course, the I thought the women blew them out of the water. Uh, 
Bailey and Sasha was a great, great match. And even on the weak spots or the spots that didn't go well, they got away from it as quick as they can. I'm thinking of the, <laughs> I loved this spot. The the spot with the, uh, with the duct tape and the two kendo sticks. Okay, so yeah, goes- the spot was idiotic, but it was very funny the way Bailey got frustrated I've, with it. And I'm then sweaty. eventually just can abandoned. can you do this shit. for me? Yes. And the referee, for his part, was also very funny with his on-the-fly straight man delivery. Yes, all three of these Hell in the Cell matches wanted to tell a certain story. I think only the women were really successful in it. I think... Look, it's because they needed these matches to fill up a certain length of time, and some of these stories in these matches required less time, particularly yeah, the Reigns and Uso one. The Reigns and Uso one bugs me. Most of all, because for all the melodrama, there was just way too much monologuing between Roman, Jay, the referee. It's an I quit match, so old school Jeff doesn't want anybody getting involved. It's a thing where two men are trying to beat an, a submission out of the other guy. I don't want... I don't want management coming in and saying this is too brutal. I don't want the referee going, come on, Roman, stop it. No, let's talk Every- about that spot real quick. Sorry sorry to jump in here, but this, this is important. WWE has established over the last couple of years that ref stoppage is a thing, up to and including in a Randy Orton finish against Brock Lesnar. Um, that, that, that's like the most high-profile one that comes to mind, but they've done this a few other times as well. In an I quit match, they've also done the if you can't respond anymore or answer anymore, that's like a ref stoppage and that's the end of the match. Um, that was so weird. And when management comes down, it's like they were trying to raise stakes and the raising of stakes felt weird because WWE has been presenting this scenario with a different outcome consistently for a very long time. Yeah, I and I get it. I just it for me, I just want to see I want to see competency from the performers and from the show that they know that these are two men who signed on the dotted line to do a match where you're going to beat the hell out of each other until one quits. So all these all this other histrionic is is dumb because everybody knows what they're getting into. Now, if he's passed out, sure, you can do that, but... Which he was. Yeah, okay. I mean, and and that's my big problem here, is that, like, a key part of the latter half of this scene requires everyone to let Jey Uso continue the match prone dead in the middle of the ring. Um, And management comes out, and, and normally, WWE goes for a stoppage when someone can't do that. And they've done, I mean... They've done other title defenses with that. Like, this is a very common finish in their shows these days. Um, not very common, but, like, it, it's not an unheard of finish. They go to it regularly. Um, yeah, I think and- the other issue with this match is that it was 29 minutes and the formatting of it was wrong. So, I think we're trying to establish that Roman is dominant. And Roman dominated this match, but... Mm-hmm. He really should have just overcome Jay very, very early on. And if you want to bring out the strap, at that point, he should have tied up Jay. Jay needed to be awake and lucid throughout this. And so when he's tormenting Jimmy or when Jimmy is finally like in the ring, Jay needs to be watching in horror. And like they did get to that spot eventually, but tie him up, tie him up. He needs to be awake and like 
fully aware of how bad this is. And then, you know, taking Kendo shots to the ribs and all that sort of other sort of stuff. But like having him choked out actually takes away from, in my opinion, the more important thing, which is him registering pain. Tucker is now a heel. Miz is now the Money in the Bank briefcase winner. Meh. I don't care. Because now Otis is a geek. There's nothing There's nothing good that's going to come out of any of this. Uh, I mean, it's a And they moved Tucker line. back and forth. They moved him to Raw, and then they moved him back to SmackDown. Again. I thought he was on SmackDown. I mean, they moved him from they moved him from SmackDown or he w- okay hold on they moved him from Raw to SmackDown and then they moved him back to Raw again. So he's still oh so that he can set. feud with Otis. Oh, we can have a red versus blue shirt match. Oh, that'll be great. The, I oh. mean, because guys like to represent their brands. Yeah, there's hey, I'm going to work for the better company in SmackDown. It's nothing like Raw. Yeah, no, they, they're doing things wrong over there at Raw, not like on SmackDown. Yeah, we're free and creative. Yeah, land uh, of opportunity. Yeah, uh, and, and then for the third Hell in a Cell match, I I could not have cared less about this Orton-Drew uh, match. I thought it was okay. It was I, I, okay, I, but, like, yeah, there's just no heat left Everything in this was Drew built run. to the climbing up on the top of the match. Yes. And then the climbing down to the side to do the one from, uh, was it HBK versus, I want to say Taker, where he does that from the side and then jumps off through the table or whatever. And look, Drew yeah, obviously knocked out a tooth or bit his tongue on that thing because it did not go as well as he had wanted it to. It's fine. Randy Orton is your champ. I don't think there's any heat in the chase here. And the Fiend's going to be involved somehow. Oh, God, that's the thing I hate. So, like, this Randy Orton, Drew McIntyre angle petered out. And I don't really hold it against Drew McIntyre as a top-level performer. I think, like, he is a good world champion-level talent. I just think that he just wasn't given material to work with here. Not unlike, frankly, Kofi Kingston uh, is another example. Like, that guy can talk enough, and he's a compelling enough person that people like well enough that uh, he's a world champion guy. If you want to make him, you've got to give people material to work with. And Orton is, you, you were talking about how we're into silly season. There's no better indicator of silly season than, like, the no reason bloodless Randy Orton title reign. Yeah, and Hell in a Cell as a bloodless pay-per-view is bad. Which is also crazy. Like, normally you associate cage matches with, like, bloody, gritty sort of thing. And, like, my other knock on the way WWE is doing Hell in a Cell is it's, like, super ritualized. All these spots are Mm -hmm. so predictable. Or you go, like, oh, it's a callback. Oh, that's... Or we generously try to class up the joint and call it an homage. But, like... Yeah, we're going to set up the table here. You know it's going to happen here. Because you remember yeah, you, it from that one match in 1998. Yeah, and also you can just tell because, it, you know, there's never any, you set something up and it's never used. It's always going to be used and you can always tell when it's going to be used. Well, Bailey and Sasha broke that tradition with the weird double lightsaber <laughs> Darth Maul kendo stick thing. Yeah, the follow-up was nothing on Friday, so I'm just going to continue on. And I just really don't talk about that. No, dude, that feud has lost so much steam, though. Uh, like, having Bailey. That's going to be when the invasion is, is next week. The women are going to come in and screw up that match. Asuka will probably blow mist in Sasha's face. 
Bailey will probably potato Sasha beforehand and leave. It, it, there's going to be nothing to it. So I, I don't care. I don't care. But overall, Hell in a Cell, easy watch. Didn't, didn't overstay its welcome. You know, I, I was fine with it. But I think the women over... I think the women of WWE have been underpraised this week. And we'll get into that as we go into Halloween Havoc. Yeah, yeah, my, my final thoughts on Hell in a Cell here. Um, obviously, Slapjack versus Lashley, five stars. Um, and the women's match was very good as well. Um, nothing else is worth your time, but but that gives you more time to watch Slapjack wrestle twice. <laughs> you can watch that match 18 times. You could, yeah. No, I mean, it's certainly within the time it'll take you to watch Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton. You can watch it 10. Uh, that's real math. NXT had a very good week, both in terms of viewership and in terms of, uh, I thought Halloween Havoc was a lot of fun. Did it all hit on all cylinders? Not necessarily. But just to hit some points here, and then you can get into it. Like, uh, I I dug that Rhea Ripley, Reina Gonzalez match or Raquel Gonzalez match. Dude, that was fun, right? That like, over yeah. That was a hoss match. And, yes. and let me tell you something. They got they got Raquel's look better. I love the duster. I want a cowboy hat with it. But but big uh, tall people in dusters, awesome. I want that more. I thought that I thought that was a nice little hoss match there. I thought EO and Candace killed themselves for the goofy stipulation that they had, especially that last spot with Candace falling over oh, onto the ladder on the outside. Oh my goodness, that spot, dude. Good lord. Um I I I watched it several times just to see like how she How adjusted. she landed? Yeah, well and like but like her adjustments midair too because mm-hmm. like yeah, it was it was a very thoughtful thing. It's it's just wow. Um, it looked no. like she was either supposed to land with her feet on the ladder there or with the knee pads to try and cushion the fall. And it looks like she took the hip right onto the buckle of the looks ladder. Like she did, but man, that thing was harsh. That was a match that... Uh, that, that was, was a rugged a, match. No, That was uh, a rugged match. No, that's both a great the, Both word the women's it. matches on this card were, like, just... Mm. They're they're great. No, it's that's the level of work. I I love that stuff. I and I didn't hear that. a lot of praise from the commentary about those matches that more than they should have been. And I, I you know I thought they over delivered on those. Uh, what do you think accounts for that? <laughs> oh, isn't it interesting that I can just ask that question and we all know the answer? Huh? Well, there's two or three answers and none of them are good on the air because I'll get railed on Twitter for it. Um. Yeah, uh, the Gargano, Damian Priest match. You know, it was it was fine for what it was. They yeah, no, it was fine. Okay, there. so I I forgot to drop my prediction last week. I think Austin Theory is going to be helping Johnny Gargano. Okay, I'll yeah. take that. Yeah, I, I, that that's what I, I thought. I thought that was supposed to be Indy Hartwell, and they'll just replace it later. But it's obviously a dude, so maybe it is Austin Theory. I'll I'll take that. Um. The video that they did for WWE.com with her and, and or with uh, Johnny and Candace was fantastic. You haven't seen that one <laughs> where he where he has the dolly and says, look, we'll be like Aleister Black. <laughs> Just thought that was great. And then the uh, speaking of promos that you can see online, but they also kind of did a recap of this here on the show as well. 
Pat McAfee. Um, so it, this promo that he does on the show is good, but if you want to see the better slash like elite level show it in a promo class to explain what lines are supposed to be doing in service of um McAfee Jeff says he gets it and I think you know that's a great succinct way of putting it McAfee understands that every single sentence in a promo should be doing something um I mean you, you can of course have the classic circular 1980s style promo where it's like I'm rough I'm rugged I'm tough I mean but like McAfee is telling a story and he's weaving in how Rich Holland, how we got a hold of Rich Holland, why he got a hold of Rich Holland, what he thought when Rich Holland got injured, why he ended up tapping Lorkin and Birch, connecting the dots and drawing the through line. And, and like, he just gets it. I, and I, what I loved is in the longer version of the promo, he even recalls key spots in his match as like inflection points for reflection and McAfee has the fast talking lines um reminiscent a little bit of the stuff that we liked about Enzo Amore back in the day um only McAfee is like a thousand times better in the ring already than Enzo Amore ever was and ever will be um and also knows how to do that in service of the bigger narrative here. Um, dude, I loved this. I loved his promo. Let um, me gush. Let so me great. gush go, go. on Pat McAfee. You said the, the really strong points of there. He tied in all these things together that needed to be tied in and did it well. For me, for old school Jeff, he made pro wrestling about money. And how you Lork- doing? Keep it moving. I mean, Lorkin or Birch and Lorkin being mercenaries. I loved the moment in the promo where he's talking about Ridge Holland being injured and saying that didn't go exactly how he wanted and do- giving kind of a glance to Oni Lorkin who kind of shrugs his shoulders, but we'll deal with that, but we'll improvise. But we had to improvise after that. I loved that little moment. Chris, my heart grew three sizes larger and I ate with the who's with the roast beast and Cindy Lou who, who was more than two, no more than two. When after Pete Dunn turned on Kyle O'Reilly, we had a beat down and not just any, we had boots. We had stomping a guy as opposed to doing the wrestling moves. Chris, I have not seen one of these in so long, I almost openly wept. And it we're was- getting the factional war thing that I was talking about last week, only without Ridge Holland right now, you have Pete Dunn. But if when Ridge Holland becomes available and it aligns with the storyline, they can always bring him back in because they've left that seed planted. But in the interim, now you have Pete Dunn. And we have a war games if we want it. Dude, and, like, look at these, like, this workhorse staple. Lorkin, Birch, and Dunn, and McAfee. Oh, McAfee's gonna jump off the cage, dude. 
<laughs> he's gonna do something insane. Of Edward course he go. is. It's it's great. And he's surrounded oh. by great. Like he's not bad, and he's surrounded by great workers now. So like they'll be able to have all these really fun tag matches and stuff too along the way. He'll cut great promos. The only uh, thing truly missing from this promo was the fact that McAfee McAfee should have been styling and profiling in a suit. He should have been dressed like a million bucks as opposed to, uh, you know. Rep it, repping his clothing line. I, I, I wanted because I loved Lurch. I keep on calling Lurch and Borkin. Lurch, Lurch and Borkin. Okay, so the guy from the Adams family. I want McAfee to go a little Andy Kaufman on this and become obsessed with Adam Cole. Like the way Kaufman was obsessed with Jerry Lawler. Like it, it becomes a bit of a Moby Dick scenario. Yeah, uh, but I don't want him to go into that Kaufman. No, 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 I don't, not, not the full one. I'm from Hollywood thing, but like, I want him to get kind of like crazed eventually. So like after he right now, he's cruising and he should be cruising because like he's a big guy and he wins all the time. But once Cole beats him, uh, the next gear I want, I want him to flip to is a little bit crazed, a little bit desperate and now kind of like obsessed because he makes all these money and all these other things. And this twerp in the wrestling business has somehow gotten a one up on him and how he yes. can't bear it. Yes, I, I liked that he bought Ridge Holland a car. I liked that touch. I just, everything about this just made me smile old school. I I, I, I loved it. I want, um, I, by the way, if you want to hear our breakdown of the Andy Kaufman, Jerry Lawler feud, patreon.com slash shake them ropes. Yeah. He did a great, that's probably one of our better episodes. Once the show ends, I'll release it for free, but who knows when that'll be. But go go kick in a buck and listen to it. It's it's three two and a half three hours of yeah, good it's two and a half hours. I, I did a bunch hours. of post production on it too. So like if you've ever listened to any of the don't worry about the governments where you know I edit in clips and that sort of thing like that is woven into the show. It, it is it is us discussing his career, but it's also a bit of like a documentary. Like I you know I pulled up stuff from the old Letterman's that that they did several different angles on Letterman shows. Like there there's just a lot of different things going on in this, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun. I, I really liked that episode. I'm, I'm proud of that. I, I've taped Hawkins. I'm going to about 500 episodes of Don't Worry About the Government. Uh, I've taped a lot of shows. That's like one of the shows I remember in my career. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this uh, Dexter Loomis, Cameron Grimes thing. I Look, there's, there's a lot to like about it, but there was a lot I didn't like about it. I, I love William Regal. Throughout the whole thing, Regal has this weird presence. I, I liked the Michael Hayes cameo. I popped. If they didn't do as much memberberry comedy in WWE, I think it'd be far more memorable. Here was my problem with the Cameron Grimes: way too much talking, way too much verbalizing every waking moment of space, and there was no moment of faux bravery from him at all which is i think you kind of want to see in this kind of thing Uh, yeah at some point cameron grimes needed to come up with some sort of like way of dispatching all the zombies in a pretty badass way especially if he's going down at the end of this he has the move yeah (laughs) and and like he did a like he would do that but it was only ever under extreme desperation and the whole time grimes is running scared and as a horror movie, it fails because yes. in a horror movie, 
even in horror movies where it ends with the villain going over. In those type of movies especially, there is a key hope spot somewhere in the course of the movie. Um, usually in that movie, the, the victim is trying to be pretty smart or is pretty smart, and they're just overwhelmed if you're going to go with that kind of storyline. Um, Grimes should have been basically like... Here's how I would have formatted this, especially if you're having Loomis go over, which is the only way that this format makes sense. Grimes is the man of a thousand traps. And like, there's all these different traps and he keeps thinking he's got Dexter Loomis and it doesn't work. It's almost like a Roadrunner Coyote cartoon. Um, but he keeps trying, like he does one thing. He thinks that works. It doesn't work. So Grimes comes up with another plan. He thinks that works. It doesn't work. The zombies pop up and they're chasing Grimes and Grimes is getting scared, but Grimes comes up with a plan. He gets rid of that. But we need to get over something about Grimes. And in this case, the only thing you can get over in this context that fits with his personality is that he's a really tricky guy. Um, but they didn't do that. And so this was, it was a long weave through skit thing rather than a match. Yeah, we were supposed to like that a weasel was getting his, but and as much as I liked Loomis in this whole thing, I I like his creepy demeanor. I like I like when he does the uh, the boss man slam or the or the rock bomb or whatever the heck it is, and then he just kind of pats the head and then puts a guy into a choke. I dig that about him. But there had to be some sort of competency from Cameron Grimes at some point here for me to buy this as a cinematic match. And all I did was see him get scared all the time for laughs. And I just, I, I was out of it. I was just kind of waiting for it to end. Uh, yeah. I think through. he needed to have Dexter Luma's beat with a cave in. And then the zombies come in and make the save. Yeah. Uh, there just, there needed to be something to give Grimes something in this match. And and one more piece of props before I move on from Halloween Havoc. I, I did like the, uh, actually two then, I guess. I liked I liked the little uh, Killian Dane, Drake Maverick comedy skit. You know, going back to one of the worst moments on Nitro. I get it. That's what DX does. They want to, and they're the crew backstage. They want to stick it to WCW at all times. But uh, I think we've found Shotzi Blackheart's strong suit here. I thought she was really good kind of playing up the camp of it all. She's really good at that. Yeah, I think in terms of being a visual presence and a very bombastic visual presence, I don't think that's ever been the knock on Shotzi Blackheart. It's just that the... She took person, it to another level on this, though. She yes, was really... And, and that's the thing is, like, the person that she was being by the wheel is not something that really translates to the ring. And, like, it, it's just been very hard for her to find a flavor that's a sustaining flavor mm -hmm. week in, week out as a wrestler. It, there's no denying that she's got a visual presence. And, like, you know, she's well-spoken. It's the Robert Stone crap that's killing her. Uh, is she still doing a Robert Stone angle at this point? No, I don't. I don't know. I no, don't no, so. I, but yeah, like no, but the, no, I get what you're saying though. Um, the the tank comedy and stuff, but I, I mean, even during her matches, sometimes it's a little bit too much of the Coo -coo -coo and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, you know, <laughs> wait, do that again, Coo -coo 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 -coo. just to pop me. There we go. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yeah, you and um, Bailey both do great Im imitations of that. Uh, I enjoyed uh, Santos Escobar and Jake Atlas for what it was. 
I I just think this match shouldn't happen until Jake gets a couple wins after the after the previous stuff because you know nobody bought that he was gonna win on this one. It was a fun match. No, I know that's my my knock is that Escobar is just kind of stuck in this nothing story right and now. He has such a presence, and they should be building on that, and they're not. They're just doing the usual guy with two flunkies. Flunkies helps him cheat, sets up you know gimmick match later where babyface will overcome but i i just i I want character more character development in nxt i like i liked uh, we're adding things on but i don't care the champa promo i thought was fantastic oh yeah yeah the champa promo was cool you know i i want to see some character development out of santos escobar and this crew and some growing as a faction as opposed to this is who they are and they do the same thing every week which is what every w which is wwe's biggest problem I mean, this is one it. of the big problems with the Cruiserweight Championship, too, is, that, like, it's on an island, and it's a very irrelevant island that it's on. Yeah, I just, I, I, because I, I, I want some form of character development in anything, and, and the only thing we're getting is, like, Roman Reigns is, is doing okay, but, you know. It's it's much better to have. Oh, it's gotten so hammy though. I I mean, yeah. ten, tonight was uh, the next step of the Roman Reigns storyline where Jay finally. Or we need st- to turn the Usos heel. Yeah, we need to turn the Usos heel, but it's all done on this big overdrive thing, and rather than really kind of explaining the psychology of it they they hope that big symbolic lines will do the lifting so for example with jay uso it's him screaming i understand and like it, what does that mean I, I mean you know i love you, you like it, those lines would be very powerful in the right context and actually have been very powerful in certain contexts but they're done tonight on this episode of smackdown in substitute for powerful writing, um, hoping that just saying the magic words will kind of substitute for stronger dialogue. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's do anything you have from AEW before we do NXT UK, because there was a lot to like about NXT UK and uh, finishing up strong. Not that AEW was weak. I thought no, the wrestling, no, okay, on, this, so, like, let's talk the wrestling on this show was fantastic, yes, I thought. I actually would divide the good and the bad pretty cleanly between the wrestling and the, the promo. So, like, Hangman Page versus Wardlow was fun. I enjoyed that Oh, match. yeah. That was a beefy match right there. There were, like, a lot of surprise good matches this week, kind of like the Rhea Ripley-Raquel Gonzalez match. Like, Hangman Page and Wardlow was not one that was necessarily on my radar of, like, matches I'm going to be really into. But, like, no, this was, like, a sneaky good match. I enjoyed this match. I will issue a a mea culpa. Penta and Kenny Omega had a really fun match, I thought. They sure did. It, it It was not... Uh, what I thought it was going to be. I was really right. pleasantly surprised by that. Um, yeah. Kingston and Seidel was was fine. Um, so uh, Bunny is now officially back with uh, Butcher and Blade after maxing out QT Marshall's credit cards. Serena Deeb is the NWA champ. Yeah, that, that was interesting. Um, 
I like there, there I like rumors that. that oh, that, she's uh, good. Um, I thought her her match uh, this week on on uh, AEW was good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I liked I liked the uh, I I, li- I like the other performer that I can't remember right offhand right now. Um, it is Layla Hirsch. No, Layla Hirsch. No, I dude. Um, no, they were both. They had a really good match. Um, the this is a really solid week for women's wrestling, dude. Yeah, oh God, yeah. Top and down, like town. across every show, there's a good women's match. I loathe the town hall. It's it's absolute crap. It's self-indulgent crap. As I said, either at this point you see Jericho for what he is or you want him to be your stepdad. Um, I, it's, I don't know. Okay, for, for, for me, let me, I just, I want to watch wrestling and get away from current events mostly. Also true. And it's way too soon. To be, and number one, it's too soon for MJF just coming fresh off of, of a quote-unquote presidential campaign to be AEW's champion to then do this town hall gimmick. But, dude, some of these jokes are so inside baseball. Like, yes. the uh, the one... I mean, guys, if you didn't see the town halls here, I'm not going to get, like, crazy political or anything. But, like, so there's one questioner... Um, at the actual town hall between Trump and Biden. And um, she gets up and she asks Trump a question and Trump smiles. And this woman, oh, no, this was, this was the uh, Savannah Guthrie one on one. Oh, okay. Did. You're right. You're right. Yes. You're right. Okay. And this woman gets up and then she makes the comment about Trump's smile. I've never seen anyone be more impressed by Donald Trump's smile than that woman at that moment. And they decided to call it back to that spot, which either you remember from the campaign um, or you don't. And, you know, uh, it, it's I'm with you, dude, like the best angles. And we and this week is littered with them. We haven't even gone to the great angle on NXT UK. What I like about wrestling um, is that I can just like – it, good wrestling, I can just be in the world of wrestling, and it's sufficient. It's completely compelling in and of itself. And I view appeals to current events as a bit of a cop-out. And in this case, it's a cop-out because there's just not a lot of coherency or a lot of heat in this MJF Chris Jericho angle otherwise. And they're trying to paper over that inconvenient truth, especially given the fact that like the inner circle have been presented as heels. And so is MJF by making everyone funny all of a sudden to make kind of Insta baby faces. And you know, the musical number is also in service of that, but man, good wrestling. See Ilya dragon off versus Walter. We will get to that in a second. Uh, we will, but I, I, I mean, like, I think that that match is really illustrative of a different way of getting a much better result. Let me look. I, I'll give a little pushback, but it's not much because yes, when I was growing up, the Cold War was a major underlier in a lot of feuds. If you were a WWF guy, you know, every territory had an evil Russian. You know, Some you, of those you booking do... patterns were dead ends, though, too. Yeah. Especially if you were playing the evil Russian. Yeah, it, it was a bit. Until like, <laughs> Nikita, Nikita and, and, and Dusty as the superpowers, you know, during the Glasnost era. Okay, great. You know, th- they were dead ends, but they also weren't as on the nose as doing a town hall style debate a couple of days after another debate. And you just, know what this is like? This is like Sergeant Slaughter joining the Iraqis. Yes. Yes. It's two on the nose. 
I don't, you know, I don't need, I don't need, especially in this election cycle, which has been so vicious. I, I don't want to watch that. And I just thought, look, the Luchasaurus part was funny. Eric Bischoff being there to ask questions is okay. Having, having Shivani do the Chris Wallace crap was dumb. It, it was just a little too... I say it a lot. It's sketch it was comedy. Cute. It was I, too cute. Yeah, it was it was a cute comedy sketch. And both of these guys are too amused while they're doing it. They're smelling their own farts. Oh, dude, noise. totally. Like, no, no. And, and what I worry about right now is that Chris Jericho, quote unquote, is taking MJF under his wing and teaching MJF a whole bunch of bad habits. Uh, the, the sports analogy I would use here is what playing with Allen Iverson did to Carmelo Anthony. It's the difference between MJF as the bratty heel becoming Tully Blanchard or becoming the Miz. And right now he's going a little bit down that Miz road where he should be going a little bit further down the Tully Blanchard road. Is that a good analogy? No, I think, especially on the Miz side, um, there's a real danger for MJF if he doesn't make sure to get his brand back to a more serious point somewhere. Um, Hopefully this ends with him getting a title reign sooner rather than later, but especially after burning off the Moxley angle with a comedy angle, no less. He's going to become leader of the inner circle. Yeah, what's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, we know yeah, what's I guess. I, yeah, no, I, I think that's where we're going here. I think and somebody in the inner circle is turning on Jericho, and then Jericho can go on tour or whatever and and do what he does and uh, come back as a conquering babyface, reinvented probably in some way. But uh, yeah, I, I see him running the inner circle pretty much. That is not a great place for MJF. It'll be interesting because if he can if he can get if he can become a vocal leader and really get some menace to him, he'll be fine. I don't think he needs to lead a faction at this point. I think they, they had him right. The, he has Wardlow. You have the big yeah. heavy. Um, I, I don't even think he needs to have a big heavy all the time. But, like, the million-dollar man, like, with one, you know, key bodyguard type, like, that's the right guy. That's the right casting. I don't think this is the type of personality that needs a faction behind him. Or if it is going to be a faction, it needs to be like a money incorporated sort of faction. Okay, let's talk a little NXT UK to end the night. The mystery has been solved, Chris. (laughs) Who attacked (laughs) Flash Morgan Webster and Mark Andrews? It was the hunt. I'm, I'm shocked and amazed. Well, there's a new mystery, which is who the hell is this guy tagging with Pretty Deadly next week? Thunderbolt. Eddie Dennis. Wait, wait, what is this that's referring to it? Uh, there, there, there's some guy backstage who is going to be Pretty Deadly's tag team partner next week. Um, I must a- miss this. After the attack, Pretty Deadly's asked about this, and they're all like, "We want a match against Gallus." And then, uh, his name is. Sam Gradwell. Okay. I don't okay. remember no, no, him. Now I, know, now I know who you're talking about. Yeah. The Thunderbolts. Uh, the th- 
Need more Thunderbolts in wrestling. Kajump. That's the Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt sound. Patterson. Thunderbolt. Yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, look, this was <laughs> this Ilya Dragonoff Walter match. This was this was manly. This was manly as hell. And uh Bro, this was a great match. Let it, me get look, let me get the minor quibble out of the way. No, go Why for it. Why is Walter looking back and forth at the audience on his entrance? <laughs> You know, they, they make them act like there's a friggin' audience in there at all times when there's not. Just make him be that focused, snobby guy. Uh, I, I actually dug Ilya's over-the-topness in his entrance this time as being hyped up for a title match. I think it's really important in the context of being the underdog going up against Walter. And while we have been very critical, and I think rightly so, of Dragunov's over-gesticulations in the course of matches, this is a match that very much called for Dragunov to be big because the psychology of the match is that Ilya Dragunov is a guy who is small but makes himself big by telling himself he's unbreakable, that he is invincible. And especially when you're going up against someone like Walter, you have to convince Walter, the other guy on the other side of the ring, that you are that big and that strong. And that was, you know, the point of the match. Uh, it's right down to, uh, man, I love the finish where he's still muttering uh, unbreakable or whatever it is in German. Um, it's so great. Like, he's gasping it out as Walter's choking him out. Um, dude, this is... And then all the work in between. The slapping. The German this, suplexes. The ger- Yeah, we'll get to that in a second, but I love all, all of the manly beef slapping in this thing. I mean, guy's on the ground, and he's, he's obeying the closed fist rule and just smacking the crap out of Walter the whole time. That last delayed German by Ilya, the, the, uh, the, the kind of the last gasp thing, it was almost like a... Uh, 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 it, the uh, I forget what it was they like. There was a pause in there where he's holding him up and finally getting him over. It was great. Just back slap and chest slaps by Walter on here. The story of the match being around the neck and you have mm-hmm. Ilya Dragunov being willing to literally break his neck to try to win this title, and he hits the torpedo Moscow. Like they did a really nice job protecting his finish. They did a great job making him look tough as nails. Um, the oh, weakest man, part the of this match was commentary. And, and even and, the commentary wasn't bad. No, but it, at the same time, Nigel has some go-tos that he kept on repeating, and I kept, started to notice them. And on this one, it was, this has to be it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every yeah. time there was a pinning predicament, that one and wait a minute when he, when he, he likes to do wait a minute a lot. And look, I'm a guy who does a lot of ums and histrionic is a word I overuse. I get that. And also, uh, too cute by half. I have my cliches. Oh, but you have to take note of all those things. Like whenever you're, whenever I'm in the editing room, I'm very mindful of like, Ooh, I say that a lot. I need to work on doing that. I'm or, mindful of it. I'm trying to get over it, but occasionally sometimes I, I realize I do these things and go, I don't care and just keep going and doing them. And if people hate it, they hate me. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it was one of those things where towards the end of the match, I was just tired of Nigel Young. This has to be it. I was like, 
You haven't earned that necessarily. There, there, there needs he to be a, a crowd there. He did a good job doing context setting, though, throughout the course of this. Yes. Uh, even, you know, uh, a different scenario, but um, when the boar and uh, primate turned on Flash Morgan Webster and uh, Mark Andrews, having the context of Mike Hitchman and Mark Andrews put together rings or Flash Morgan Webster put together rings, like Nigel does a good job adding that extra layer in. Yeah, my, my only issue was, was, you know, it was a plan that would have worked if there was a crowd. And the crowd was at a fever pitch screaming, and he had to yell, this has to be it, as if he's exhausted from trying to yell over the loud crowd who's going, this is awesome, and clapping and all these other things. On this one, it just sounds like he's yelling it every time. And it was it was scripted as a match. It felt like it was scripted as a match in terms of commentary, that there would be a wild, raucous crowd, and there wasn't, and that was that was my drawback. From but and, other than that, and then to that point, though, this match kicked ass in the yes. absence of a crowd. Yes, and you could when hear you all think the about slaps, that, you could... you could hear when you think about that. Uh, man, I, I like when I consider this towards the end of the year here. Uh, for like you know, what do I put in match of the year contenders? This is gonna be up there just because. It's so hard to perform without that crowd to feed off of. And for these guys to go out there and really just like have a friggin' match and it doesn't matter. There's no audiences. Cause like, we're just going to be in the zone and really do it. Um, wow. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to have to really think on that. Audiences live pop for the athletic moves really hard an empty arena match needs to be hard hitting. And that's what will really, you know, get people talking after the match to me, this match, the grunting, it felt, it felt like a wrestling match as a fight, but not quite to the 80 standard of punch and kick, but rather I'm just going to lift you up and slam you a lot. And then I'm going to chop the crap out of you. And it was a very, you know, there wasn't a lot of fancy stuff in there, but it was rugged. And, Ilya Dragunov, you know, comes off as a freaking badass. It's just and, a shame nobody Walter watches NXT splash, UK except you just got to respect it. Like when oh, God, Walter yes. does a top rope splash, like that does he doesn't need to be doing moonsaults. That splash no. means business. No, it's like it's like it's like early Vader in WCW when he'd do a moonsault, you just go, "Oh my God!" But he wouldn't do it every match. You know, he'd do he'd do the Vader splash or he'd do a top rope splash. Or something like that. But when he pulled off the moonsault, it was something. When Walter pull, goes to the top rope, you go, somebody's going to die. And I love it. I, I love Walter. I do. I, I wish I wish they had treated him better last year's Survivor Series, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> just to wrap it all up in one big bow, you look at the alumni, the five alumni from NXT on that one. You know, who's in a better position now than they were then? Because Keith Lee got over hard. Matt Riddle was over for a second until he got treated like a geek on the way out. My dude, T-Bar. Walter was great. Uh, Ciampa is starting to be built built back up in NXT. Who was the fifth? Wasn't it Dijak? Was it? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. My dude, T-Bar. Okay, yeah, and he looked good, too. I, I just, it was just one of those weird things. It's just like, 
you only get one chance to really put the spark on a guy. And it's, and it's, and it's, and they just, no, they, it's it, that, that's kind of gets back to the MJF thing too. No, like it's super important to define people at certain points. In oh their no, career. it was Damien Priest. Was, was it the fifth? Oh, Priest. Yeah, it was. It was uh, Tommaso Ciampa, Damian Priest. Well, Priest Matt is in an okay position. I don't feel like. He, I mean, I don't think he's been stuck in water. I think he's moving hell. Wolf. No, no, he's he's. I, I will. I will say that he's the one guy who's really improved his stand, and he was pretty good in that hardcore match. I didn't give him enough love in it. Uh, he got kind of outed as a geek, but that was story and. You know, the introduction of the new guy interfering is fine to introduce him that way and to make him lose that way. I don't think I don't think Damian Priest is gonna lose a lot of shine on that. And his uh his entrance was pretty badass, I gotta say. But uh he's the one guy who's really improved his standing for those five. Well, we'll end it there then. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think we got anything else, man. Uh okay. I think we covered them all. You can follow me at crapgame13. You can follow Chris at Chris Novembrino. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes. Patreon.com slash Shake Them Ropes. Once again, we'd like to thank my bookie. Use code ROPES. Double your deposit up to $1,000. Uh, Chris, we're going to cut off your election preview for this show and save it for uh, Don't Worry About the Government. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, you can go and check that out. I think I'm actually going to sit down and do like one last electoral college map here before uh, the election. Um, you can go and check that out over at don'tworry.tv on iTunes, on Stitcher, and Spotify. Um, so you can listen to the show anywhere on those locations for free. However, we rolled out a video portion now. Um, there's going to be video clips up on YouTube. I'm going to start making those. Um, but there are now full video versions of the episodes um, starting this most recent episode, which you can find over at patreon.com slash DWATG. Support the show for a buck a show. Get the video. Um, it's a rhyming scheme, Jeff. You see? Couplets are great. <laughs>